Welcome to Brook USA on the Road. Our mission at Brook USA is to significantly improve the welfare of working horses, donkeys, and mules, and the people they serve throughout Asia, Africa, the Middle East, the Americas, and the Caribbean by raising funds and responsibly directing them to the areas of greatest need. Brook USA connects private philanthropists with their passion for helping relieve the suffering of working equines and their owners. In each podcast episode, you'll hear a report from one of our board members on the current initiatives for our organization. You'll also enjoy updates from our Brook USA ambassadors, who range from top-level international writers to best-selling authors. I'm your host, Julianne Neal. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Brook USA, a nonprofit, board led organization dedicated to alleviating the suffering of working equines and the people they serve in the developing world. Our first two guests on this episode are instrumental in current advocacy initiatives for Brook USA. Catherine Caneb is currently Vice Chair of the Board of Directors. She is leading Brook USA's advocacy campaign against the trade of donkeys for their skins. She is an avid fundraiser and founded Brook USA's Sunset Polo and White Party, which raises over $300,000 each year for the organization. Today, she will give an overview on the current donkey hide crisis. Alfonso Lopez is a senior corporate and government relations consultant in Becker's federal lobbying practice in Washington, D.C. He will talk on the podcast today about ways to help advocate for change. You'll also hear from Brook USA ambassador, New York Times bestselling author, Mary Alice Monroe. Catherine and Alfonso, thank you both so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, very happy to be here. Pleasure being here. Great, great. Well, Catherine, we're actually going to start with you. Um, A little birdie named Emily told me that you are probably the most knowledgeable (laughs) person about Brook USA. So um, I don't know if that comes as a surprise to you or not, but no pressure or anything. But we're so happy that you're here to to give us some more information about Brook USA in general, but especially specifically today, we'll be talking about the donkey crisis. So you have an extensive background in the equestrian world. Has that been a help to you with what you're doing now with Brook USA and and the board? Oh, absolutely. Sure. I mean, you know, the the start of my uh, my relationship with Brook USA was about four years ago, and it really revolved around um, one of their ambassadors, Nick Roldan, who's a a very, very high-ranking polo player um, internationally. And he approached me about the organization and uh, helping him put together what is now uh, the Sunset Polo and White Party. Um, And that's really how I was introduced to the organization. And uh, the event led me to meeting everybody, uh, the staff and and getting familiar with its causes and its mission. And um, I think within <laughs> two months of, uh, of having the event and, uh, and really, you know, getting excited about everything that it represents globally as well as nationally now, um, I joined the board. So it's, it's, uh, 
it's been great. So I guess I came on in the capacity of things that I was already involved in, in terms of the marketing and the events and things like that, and then transitioned into sort of how it overlaid with uh, representing the, the Burke organization. Well, that's wonderful. It's sort of the opposite of what I had imagined is you being with them for a while and then realizing that it was time for a fundraiser. But um, they said that you were basically the founder of the... The Brook USA Sunset Polo and White Party. Nick Rodon and I really um, worked with our teams, each of our individual teams, to sort of conceptualize the event. And then every year it's sort of grown from there. Well, and last, I believe it was the last one, you were presented with the Crystal Award from Brook USA on televised on South Florida PBS. Um, And so with all those things, you're obviously dedicated to charity work and philanthropy. What do you do with the funds that are raised from, from this event every year? Basically, they go to programs that we fund internationally. And, um, Our sister organization, which is Brooke in the UK, has a number of programs that we fund um, that are just incredibly well represented in the Middle East and the Americas and the Caribbean and Asia and Africa that have been going on, you know, since Brooke UK was founded um, that really focus on focus on the, the developing nations and trying to alleviate the suffering of the, the equines that are the working livestock for the people that live in those communities and, and making everybody's lives better through raising their level of, um, you know, of lifestyle, basically. Uh, we also, because we are a sister organization, we have the ability to make uh, grants to other programs um, that also are in the United States as well as um, Latin and Central America that are separate from the Brook UK that we see a need. We have the ability to do that. And, and one of the things we've done specifically in the last couple of years has been able to raise money for um, relief efforts that for natural disasters. So we've sent uh, money to Guatemala. We have helped out several times in Northern California from the wildfires. We just recently um, targeted some funds to go to Texas, um, which is really nice for our board because it's, it's very dynamic, very responsive. We have a wonderful donor base, ever-growing, um, that really can respond very quickly and make the funds available immediately so that people who are, are really in the, the heart of the disaster with their equines and need some sort of funds are able to get access to them. Right. Well, I, I just had a conversation with John Nicholson, who's the current board chair, and, and he was explaining a little bit about your board and the diversity that's there. So it does sound like you have a lot of expertise in many different areas. So that's wonderful to have such a great team on board. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, our board, we have a nice representation. We have um, veterinarians and we have people who, again, like me, have a marketing, a sponsorship background. Um, we have, you know, Jim Wolf who's a board who's worked on very, very high-level events in the sport. It's, it's great. There's, there's a really nice balance there um, and a lot more interest of, of other people joining the board as well, which is only going to just be beneficial for everybody. Sure. And you mentioned ambassadors. And so you also have this base of um, expertise with your ambassadors. And a lot of those names are really well known. And um, it's going to be interesting to speak with some of them as well. And, and I'm sure that brings a whole different dynamic to the table when you're when you're planning and organizing. 
Yeah, especially for, um, since social media is so popular, you know, now and pervasive, it helps our presence kind of get out through different channels when the ambassadors, you know, they're so good about actively uh, mentioning Brooke and representing us. And anytime we have fundraisers um, or events, if it's in their area, they always come out and and help with that as well. And and sort of that whole celebrity factor, you know, helps quite a bit when it comes to, um, you know, the Brooke and messaging. Definitely. And I'm excited. I have the opportunity to speak with a friend of yours coming up pretty soon. Mary Alice Monroe, I believe is one of your ambassadors and is certainly well known. And so I'll talk to you about her in a few minutes, but the ambassador part of of what you do is is certainly really important. Um, But we're here today to speak a lot as well about the the current donkey hide crisis. Um, I've heard that you're also bringing, that's that's a, a problem in many areas, but I've heard you're bringing a campaign to the United States that's going to address this. Can you talk a little bit about the crisis and what you're planning for the U.S. as well? Sure. So basically the last decade uh, has really um, created the real crisis as it relates to the donkey hides. As as you mentioned earlier, there's a product um, that comes from the hides um, being processed um, that's used in Chinese medicine, and also beauty products um, that's very, very popular. Um, The United States actually is, I believe, the fourth largest consumer of these products. Uh, So it's not just something that's that's sort of in China. It's something that is really pervasive to to the world and the United States being a very large consumer. Um, Unfortunately, the demand is so great that the donkey population is no longer sustainable at the level that they're being slaughtered. Um, So there's the people who depend on these donkeys in, in Kenya, which is really the focus right now because it is the epicenter. There are four uh, slaughterhouses there that basically can slaughter up to a thousand donkeys a day whose Mm. hides are then exported to China for the production of these products. Um, And so there's a lot of advocacy going on in Kenya to try to have the the ban on the trade and also to shut down the uh, slaughterhouses uh, so that they can no longer produce the the hides to send to uh, export to China. Um, there was um, some momentum where they had actually had the slaughterhouses shut down, but only to have them opened up again several months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, China's um, trade relationship with Kenya is uh, very strong, and therefore there's a lot of influence there. Uh, the slaughterhouse Houses are uh, some of them owned by Chinese companies, uh, so there's a lot of pressure uh, there for the economy as well. Um, and fortunately, the the rate that the population of the donkeys uh, are that are being slaughtered by 2023, they will be uh, no longer a viable population in uh, in East Africa, and it's happening also in other parts of Asia and Africa as well. So one one of the things that Alfonso is really helping us with is it's really and he'll speak to it as well is not only we're we're obviously through the UK and their advocacy programs there and working with the populations in Kenya and Pakistan and Ethiopia um, to deal with you know the the containment of that uh, the slaughter the you know people having their donkeys stolen. Um, but Alfonso's helping us with sort of the issues of trying to ban it 
in the United States as well as work with the retailers that actually carry it. There's about, I think, Alfonso, about $12 million worth of sales yearly uh, last recounted for these products in the United States. The fact is that, um, you know, she's so right. right. Right now, there is a demand for donkey skins uh, that's approximately 8 to 10 million donkey skins per year, but the annual supply in China is less than 1.8 million. And so they are going to uh, East Africa and now to Latin America uh, to uh, and they're, they're and they're the, the trade the donkey hide trade is uh, decimating donkey populations around the world. And what does that mean? That means that um, not only are we losing do- uh, donkeys in these countries, but also the actual effect is that in a lot of impoverished nations where the donkeys are are part of the family, they're part of the work, like what needs to be done is to work to create the community in terms of carrying water, carrying supplies, working in agriculture, working in the home. Um, Without the donkeys, then a lot of these these families are losing their ability to, um, uh, you know, provide for themselves. And what's also happening is that the donkeys are so valuable for these slaughterhouses that they're being stolen. They're being uh, killed illegally and often slaughtered uh, in, in, in the community as well. And so uh, when people wake up in the morning, they find that their donkeys are gone and they find them nearby having been slaughtered for their skins. Um, it's having devastating effects on families who are already struggling and living below the poverty line in places like East Africa, places like Latin America. And so, um, and then also the demand has exploded over the course of the last decade with, with what Catherine was talking about. As the Chinese middle class has expanded, Ejiao products are expensive, but now more Chinese uh, folks can afford them. And so what we're trying to do is uh, at Becker and, and as a part of our efforts with, um, with Brook USA is to educate members of Congress, educate legislators, educate their staff and educate White House and agency officials about what is happening with the donkey populations around the globe, what is happening with this um, trade that's happened, that's going on in the United States. And even though it's um, $12 million, which in the grand scheme of things is not that much money, um, we feel it's our moral obligation to address this. And so what we're trying to do is uh, work with members of Congress, put forward legislation or legislative language that can be put on as an amendment to a must-pass piece of legislation that says, basically, we do not condone um, the uh, uh, slaughter of of, of these donkeys and for their skins to create Ejiao and will not allow its import into the United States as a part of that. And that's a very big thing to do. That is a very big thing to do. And what does that mean? That means that um, we are educating folks at the Department of Congress, at the Department of Commerce, the Department of the East State Department, at the White House, and then trying to get legislative language through uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress who like the issue from and who care about the issue for, in some cases, very different reasons, but still care about the issue, get them to yes on moving legislation, if not this year, at least in the beginning of next year, so that we have a full Congress to address it and get it done. Um, And so we're pretty excited about um, our ability to work with Brook USA and their amazing team and their amazing board and their incredible ambassadors to who will help us amplify this message uh, to members of Congress and legislators around the country. To some, a donkey is a beast of burden and a nuisance, but to many is a companion, a breadwinner, a friend and a helper. 
on average here with our calculations, uh, a donkey okay. will bring 1,200 shillings into a household every day. Lose that donkey, then you've lost your livelihood. Losing a donkey means you've no food for the evening. Your family doesn't, your children do not go to school. It means a lot. In Kenya alone, there are four operational donkey slaughterhouses located in Baringo, Nakuru, Machakos and Trukana counties with a combined capacity of slaughtering approximately 1,000 donkeys per day. The massive slaughter is however not fueled by the local demand for meat but by the surging new global craze on donkey hides and skins to drive the manufacture of ijiao. Well, you have quite an extensive background in, in working through and negotiating difficult things like this. I mean, you're with the Small Business Administration during the Obama admin. Um, you've, you've had extensive experience in Virginia as well. And you're doing this symposium coming up in, I believe it's October. Do yes. you see this, the Donkey Wellness Symposium, as being your opportunity to get it out to the general public? Is that something, is that going to be a big opportunity for you? We have just really begun our, our efforts on this and our partnership with, uh, with uh, Brook USA, but we have hit the ground running. And so I believe, yes, um, our ability to, uh, to as a team, um, talk about uh, this at the symposium will be a great launching pad for us to get the message out about ways that individuals, members of various groups, activists, academics can influence the political process, influence the policymaking process of the United States when it comes to what we believe is a horrific practice that is completely unnecessary. I mean, there was a recent UK report that said that uh, Ejiao is not really needed for the creation, the production of some of these products, that, they, that other gelatins can be used from other things like meats or uh, or, or even, you know, things like seaweed to create the, um, the products that are being made. Um, and so uh, we think that from a, uh, a community development perspective and from an animal welfare perspective, this kind of legislation is a no-brainer. It's just on us now, as well as all the activists out there uh, that we hope to touch to help amplify that message. And, you know, Catherine, you mentioned the, the scope of this problem and the numbers and the slaughterhouses for in, in the area that you mentioned and how many these are astronomical numbers, but that personal side of it and, and the side of donkey welfare, you know, especially during this pandemic, can you as discuss the human and the humane aspects of the problem? All of these working equines for all of these people, is it, it's so much of an issue. Um, you know, the health of the donkey is very important um, beyond whether you have a donkey or not. It's, it's you know, it, these the women and the children, if have to do the work if they don't have the donkey there to help them. Um, they're useful for, you know, for transportation, for construction purposes, for water, which is sometimes miles away. And if you take that out of their life, they then become, you know, unable to, one, support themselves uh, because that, that's generally their source of minimal income, uh, unable to send their children to school, 
you know, and, and unable for the women, actually, they're then tied to what they're doing with their chores and then no, can no longer become any part of equality in terms of having a voice in, in their villages and, and their leadership. Uh, so it really translates, you know, in, a, in a, a terrible way into a worse cycle of poverty, you know, to not have these these uh, well-cared for equines in their lives, whether they're taken for the, the crisis, but the larger picture of just actually even having, having them in their, their lives. For more exciting content, tune in to Winnie Tales, horse stories, pony legends, and unicorn yarns, featuring the work of international equine clinician Bruce Anderson. You'll find these podcasts and more at equusfilmfestival.net or on any of your favorite podcast directories. Um, it's it's interesting that um, the working livestock, of which now uh, recently um, donkeys and mules, the working equis, have been recognized by the United Nations in that category of working uh, livestock. Uh, it's been recognized they make a vital contribution to the realization of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which were um, created to address solutions for global uh, challenges. Um, and Brooke USA's mission um, and the funding that it provides specifically supports many, many of these SDGs is what they're called. Um, just a couple that um, that we have that, that sort of the programs that address are uh, no poverty, um, zero hunger, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, Climate action, which which allows people to be responsive, um, you know, during crises, natural disasters, and climate change, uh, and then you know, life on land, which is uh, the donkeys being so much a part of the uh, ecosystem and and the environment. Um, so you know, all of those things, it's it's re- uh, really a very large um, picture that we're looking at. Besides these wonderful animals, the protection of them the end of the slaughter, but also helping to program and maintain their future because they are so important to the overall global health of the world and its people. Mm. So, I mean, even in a general sense for 600 million people in the poorest places in the world, a hundred million working equines are their only way, means of making a living. Those are incredible numbers. So where the, where specifically, I'm sure there's money going into farrier vet. Um, are there other specifics that that money would go toward? Uh, yes, because there's programs that train the owners um, for the donkey's care so that they know how to take care of them better, um, feed them better, and uh, also to um, train them to have their own sustaining ecosystems um, where they can have vets, people, you know, train people to be vets and to be vet assistants and farriers and harness makers um, and, and just in general create its own ecosystem that that will allow more sustainability and allow them to become more independent. And that's sort of the focus of a lot of these programs um, is to sort of target the people to be able to care better for their animals. And then it sort of feeds off of itself as well for them to become much more independent. And then the programs are sort of geared to be able to leave after a number of years, knowing that sort of the imprint was there and and, uh, they left them in a better place than when they came. Well, I saw a beautiful picture, I believe it was on the website, of just 
a row of donkeys on each side of the watering tank and just how they were all, I mean, I, you know, you, the leading the horse to water thing, I can take my horse down to the water tank all day. I can't make him drink when I want him to. So to have 20 or 30 donkeys standing there, all gulping it down at the same time, you know, they were thirsty. And so I had seen that, that you've raised over a hundred thousand dollars for in, for water programs in Ethiopia in your last fundraiser. So yes, that started, yeah, the first ones, I think in the 2016, uh, we built water troughs in Ethiopia. That's for the market, which is so harsh for these animals. They trade, you know, they have to travel so far and, um, in 2016, were water troughs because they really had no water. In 2017, we were able to build shade shelters for them in those marketplaces as well. So they had a capacity for about 500 animals each. Um, and other things like in 18, uh, the money went to the training for vet care and for the brick kilns um, in India. We haven't really spoken about India, but um, there, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of brick kilns in. India that are supported by the work of these equines. Um, there are other things that we've done in terms of health posts, um, training staff, making clinics, you know, all over um, Ethiopia. Uh, it, it's basically, you know, we, we try to, besides give the programs funding, every year we try to actually identify sort of a capital project um, that we can actually do something in, in, that you can look at and, and touch and feel and, and say, this is, you know, this is what we did this year besides all of the wonderful things that are happening with the program. Sure. Well, that's, that's exciting. So Alfonso, you mentioned a little bit about the general public and advocating for change. What could just your normal everyday person do to help bring this to attention? I'll, I'll tell you, they, there's so much that people can do, and I, I'm excited about making um, the first steps in this area. Um, we are uh, anxious to work with folks on doing op-eds, uh, letters to their members of Congress, um, uh, advocating at town hall meetings where members of Congress are, um, uh, are going to be in attendance, um, and then lobbying, when we can finally come back to D.C. after COVID-19, bringing some of these uh, ambassadors from Brook USA, bringing some of the board members, uh, and bringing just activists and members to Congress and saying, we want to meet with you. We want to meet with the members of the appropriate committees. We want to meet with the leadership and talk about this issue. Um, there are so many folks in Congress who care deeply about issues of animal welfare, who care deeply about issues of, 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 of economic development, especially in the global south. Um, and, and especially in impoverished uh, areas around the world. And the fact that this is something that speaks to them and speaks to, um, uh, you know, things that they care deeply about, but they're not hearing about it. And that's what our job is going to be. Our job is going to be to get people engaged, get people interacting with their members of Congress, giving them a venue to do that, and then being a constant presence on Capitol Hill and before the administration to effect change as quickly as possible. So I'm just speaking personally, but through Brook USA, can you provide us with a template of how yes. to say what we want to say? Yes, <laughs> yes. We will, give you, we will be giving uh, folks uh, talking points. We will be giving them templates of different kinds of, 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 of op-eds they can submit to local papers uh, and things that they can be sending to members of Congress and things that they can be talking about on a phone call or questions they should be asking at uh, uh, a town hall, like, will you be uh, supporting or co-sponsoring 
uh, Madam uh, Representative or, or um, uh, Senator uh, Collins or Senator McConnell, um, this piece of legislation, that, which does exactly what we wanted to have done. And so once we have that vehicle, we want to get as many people, as many members of Congress signed on. So we're going to need activists and members of the board actively getting out there and saying, all right, let's let's get the sport. Let's get the, the sponsorships on this legislation, because we get around 200 people on a bill. Um, it's got to pass. It's going to pass. It's just where we get it done. And so it's it's honestly you can do so much simply through legwork, simply through, you know, not being afraid of the large, you know, marble columns. And oh, I would never go lobby Congress. That's not me. I'm not supposed to do that. That's horse hockey. Bad, bad word. Um, uh, um, that, because those are your representatives. That is your capital. That is the people's house. That is the people's U.S. Senate. And the, that administration works for you in our job is to make sure that people aren't scared of Congress. They're not scared of their elected officials and that you are advocating with them and you are making a point about something that they should care about as well. And it's their job to listen to the people. Yes. Well, I can tell you the South Carolina folks are going to be hearing it from my end. So there you go. <laughs> you can tell us where else to, to put that, that effort also. There you so go. We appreciate you for sure. Catherine, can you talk a little bit about the power of one? That's an initiative that I've heard spoken about. So can you tell us what that is? Sure. I think this came about, you know, John talked about um, how reactive um, and, and creative the staff at Brook USA was, especially, you know, in anticipation of the effects of COVID on the organization, our fundraising abilities. And this is one of the um, brainchilds of, of the wonderful staff with working there. So the power of one is an effort that's to hopefully, you know, hopefully let's say we will raise a million dollars over the next year um, with the understanding that everybody can give at whatever level they can, but to combine it, to, you know, one effort that can make a huge difference. Um, if we raise a million dollars, you know, one dollar is going to help us get there. Ten dollars is going to help us get there. And so um, we're sort of uh, kicking off the campaign um, with the premiere of Hope's Legacy, which is going to be on, on the Equus Film Festival channel in, I think it's October now. Yeah, it October is. 15th and 16th. And that's sort of the, the kickoff of the whole campaign. That's awesome. And you, you did mention, you know, the creativity of the staff and coming up with something like this. Um, I know that that's going to be an exciting time and it'll give us a chance to, to talk to some of our eventing crowd and, and get them excited. Doug Maddox is the director of that film and I think everybody's going to love it. That's a sequel to one that he had out a couple of years back that was part of the festival called Christmas Ranch. And so um, I'll be excited to talk to Doug. He actually, I host one of the film festival stops in South Carolina and he came and, and is just a wonderful person and fantastic director. So everybody needs to mark their calendars for that. It's, it is the week of October 15th, 16th. So I think that you can have, um, basically you can have pre-selected content uh-huh. um, starting at four o'clock on the 15th and then the movie premiere at seven. Um, and then you can watch it through in the 16th, I guess, uh, until midnight. But uh, there's $25 general admission, 150 for a VIP admission, and you get one of those wonderful Caroline's Cakes um, in addition to your tax-deductible uh, contribution to Brook USA. I, I want so, in. I want yeah, in. 
Exactly. Yeah, I'm doing that one. I think that sounds really good. So, and definitely a worthwhile contribution. So, so that's phenomenal. Um, and I'm just going to ask you one more little personal thing, um, Catherine. I'm, I'm going to talk to Mary Alice Monroe, and you wrote a wonderful forward in her book. Um, oh, thank you. A recent one. I, I loved reading it. I'm getting ready to start chapter one. So, um, what can you tell me to ask um, Mary Alice? <laughs> Something that, that maybe nobody else knows. <laughs> oh, my. Or should I, should I save that for another conversation? I, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I, it's funny. I was able to just see her last week because my, um, my daughter's getting married in Charleston uh, in a couple of months. So I went to deal with all of that. And so I got to spend the day with her. And uh, she has a number of very interesting projects that she's working on, um, dealing with some other mammals that you might want to just ask some of her her adventures that she's going on. But um, yeah, that that was one of the benefits, one of the major benefits um, are the being, doing what I do and meeting the people I got to meet is that brought us together in, in completely different worlds. And, and, and to be able to write the forward to the summer guests was really, really a privilege for me. Well, I'm an avid reader. I can't wait to read it. And the, the part that was interesting to me was your, I don't even remember the name of it, but you called it women and wine and um, dogs and something. <laughs> and <I was laughs> like, that that actually happened. Yes, that was the night that that the book was conceived, as we said, um, during the hurricane. So that that was a lot of fun. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm going to have to hurry and read it before I speak with her. So so that's great. Well, is there anything else that we need to make sure that everybody knows about this initiative, about Brook USA, about lobbying? Is there anything else that you can think of, Alfonso, that we need to make sure that people know? Um, well, uh, be prepared to uh, get some materials from us um, uh, uh, sooner rather than later in terms of, of what we are going to be putting out um, for members of Congress uh, and what people can do in terms of getting folks on board uh, this movement. Uh, right now, uh, we're waiting on uh, who is going to carry this legislation. Um, the idea being uh, we get them uh, to uh, submit the legislation this year with the intention of really knocking it out of the park uh, early next year after the new Congress comes in. Um, and so uh, we want to have that vehicle ready to go, um, but we will have talking points. We want to raise awareness. And so a lot of those op-eds, a lot of those letters to the editor uh, kind of templates will be available pretty soon. Great. That will be good. And Catherine, how about you? Anything else you can think of that, that we need to tell people? Well, I think I would encourage people to go to our website, which is brookusa.org. And it is really one of the um, most informative, I think, um, sources of information about all of the programs. The donkey hide crisis is on there as well. Um, very easy to, to, to navigate uh, and get information. And obviously, we love any donations that people are happy to, uh, to share with us. And they can do that through the website also, right? Correct, yes. Great, great. Well, thank you both so much for speaking with me. I I think that um, the the strides that you're making through Brook USA are just wonderful. And um, I look forward to a lot of success with these initiatives and more in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julianne. Thank you so much. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by JA Media Productions. We love storytelling, plain and simple. Through podcasting, digital media, and documentary filmmaking, 
we strive to connect our stories and our audience in order to make a difference in the world. We are particularly interested in animals and animal welfare, especially horses. If you look through our work, you'll find stories of animal rescue in the Spotlight Rescue series, stories of horses, donkeys, and mules in the Brook USA on the Road or Equus Film and Arts Fest podcasts, or training tips and more in the Winnie Tales series. You can find us on social media, through our Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube channels, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find us on social media through our fa- You can find us on social media through our Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube channels, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For more information, visit jamediaconnections.com. Our guest is Mary Alice Monroe, New York Times bestselling author of 23 novels, including the Summer Guests and the Beach House series, with numerous accolades and awards, including induction into the South Carolina Academy Authors Hall of Fame, the Southwest Florida Author of Distinction Award, the South Carolina Award for Literary Excellence, the International Book Award for Green Fiction, and the prestigious Southern Book Prize for Fiction. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Alice. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here and proud to be an ambassador for Brook USA. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I, I have to say I'm from South Carolina, so I'm kind of proud that some ah. of those awards are South Carolina-based. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you. That's my home. It's where most, a lot of my books are set here. Not all, yes. but a lot. Definitely. Well, and the fact we're having this conversation on a weekend, a holiday weekend at that, and um, you're in the middle of a hard Hard deadline. Deadline, deadline yes. Book, well, as so. the Dowager said, what's a weekend? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that just shows me that you're serious about Brook USA and the work that, that you do to, to help them. So, so Very I appreciate much so. that. Good, good. Well, we'll definitely be speaking a little bit about Brook USA, but I, I have to indulge my inner book lover and ask you a Aww. few other questions first. <laughs> you know, I've I've been an avid reader since I think I was three or four, so ah. I, was, I was that kid that, you know, dad's trying to skip through the bedtime story, and I'm like, no, you skipped a page. So um, <laughs> I, I love books, and I love your books. And so I, my my brother introduced me to Southern fiction later as an adult through Pat Conroy's work. And so, oh, I, think, I loved him. He was yes. a friend. Well, I, yeah. I've wondered about that. And so, when I read your work and I think of Southern fiction, I mean, I see that I feel that I'm on Edisto Beach or, you know, in a mm. marsh somewhere. So, I appreciate yeah. that. And it's pretty evident that you do a great deal of research and your hands-on experience yeah. is there in crafting your story. So you've, you've got a lot of the parallels between nature and human nature. Did you grow yeah. up with all of that yourself? Access to, to dolphins? And, you you know. know, I think, no, no, not with the marine life as much. Mm-hmm. I always loved nature, you know, saying to trees and all that, believed in fairies, which I think is part <laughs> of it too, that love of the wild. And the imagination. But it wasn't until I was married and my husband had a family, my husband's family had a property in Vermont that mm. was 
wild and I became quite attached to that and learned quite a bit and about conservation. And it wasn't until I moved to South Carolina permanently that I became aware of the, especially with the sea turtles. I joined the turtle team. You know, mm-hmm. I am still to this day yes. what they call a turtle volunteer after 20 some years. Wow. And I began to be aware that I could use my novels that were fiction novels, stories about families' lives and sagas. But I could use my novels as a force for good to bring awareness to endangered species Mm. and environmental issues. So through the power of story, I was able to introduce important conservation issues to my readers who might not ever have had any curiosity about it. You know, they were sitting on the beach looking for a great beach read. Mm-hmm. And I pride myself on on being a storyteller, but it's a painless education. And I have found that readers do enjoy learning something in a novel. Sure. And also, it really, the emotion that I could connect to moved my readers and they would volunteer and donate to causes and to support whatever species I was writing about. And I found that it really was a great tool to sort of hook the reader's enthusiasm to a bigger cause. And it's been probably my greatest joy as a writer, and it transcends Mm. writing a novel. It goes to another level. Definitely. Well, and we'll talk a little bit about the summer guests. Um, And because we're speaking with Brooke USA in mind as well, how about the horses? Did you have horse experience? Were you a horse girl growing up? We had a horse We had horses when I was younger, but I was never a great equestrian. You know, I was always um, a lover of horses, but it was never my talent. And I'm always admiring those people who have this gift. And yet years later, when I, gosh, maybe four years ago, and I was already a successful novelist, I went in a different field when I learned about the way horses were disposed of, Mm -hmm. many of them in this country. And I I was inspired by the rescue operations. So I went to North Carolina and to a friend of mine, Cindy Boyle, up in the mountains there. And she had a horse farm and she's an equestrian. And I started doing research on on rescue horses. And it just didn't click. You know, usually my method is I I choose a species, do an academic research, talk to experts, and then I roll up my sleeves and I begin to work in the field. And whether it's dolphins or whales or turtles or horses. Mm -hmm. And yet that connection that always comes to me didn't come. And I was a bit concerned because I wasn't feeling it. It's very visceral. And then Hurricane Irma hit, Mm. and I evacuated, like most of Florida. If you remember, that was the Mm -hmm. hurricane that bounced both courses. So it was really probably the largest evacuation in Florida's history. And a lot of horses were being moved and dogs. You know, horse people tend to be dog people. And I was moving from the coast of South Carolina, Isla Palms, where I live, And I had my dogs and canaries and five of them (laughs) and a goldfish. (laughs) And we went, I called Cindy because, you know, no hotel wants us. And they get booked up quite quickly. (laughs) And she said, yes, come on in. You know, um, I have a lot of people come and we'll find room. She was very generous. (sighs) So I went up and with all my menagerie. And I met a group of people who had gathered, and I called it the big chill with horses and dogs. That's what it really was. 
you know, a, a finite amount of time, people at a place, you know, under duress, and our lives changed. Yes. So I met actually Leslie Munzel, who's also an ambassador, and she owns Beauty for Real. Mm-hmm. She came up with her husband and a big old cantankerous dog. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with my three dogs and five canaries, as I said. And to make it interesting, my female, who's a little cavalier, was in heat, which oh, was gosh. amusing. Just added to the ma'am. Oh. And then there were people from South America, people from who came up from Wellington, and there was um, her daughter came up with a newborn baby. And at that same time, I met... Um, Catherine Caneb, mm-hmm. who is the vice chair of the board of directors at Brook USA now. And she was with the um, Tryon Equestrian Center at the time. And she was a friend of Cindy's and I met her. And all, I think over 300 horses came to Tryon area in evacuation. And it was an exciting and thrilling and frightening time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us volunteered to help with the horses at the equestrian center and at that because they opened up their doors which was very very awesome? um, philanthropic you know they mm-hmm. opened up the doors to all the horses that were coming in so you had you know prize horses you had school horses you had rescue horses all being together but while i was there i slept over the barn in this really adorable little loft apartment and I opened up these wooden doors that, like windows, that looked over the actual horses, mm-hmm. seven or eight of them in the barn. And it was all fresh hay and leather and feed and that very comforting smell of barn. Mm-hmm. And in the TV was going with all the hurricane noises, you know, telling you that it was coming. And you fear uh, yes. that everything you have will be gone. But the horses grounded me. The, the knickers and the, and the, um, nays and the noises and the kicking of the stalls all night long. It was very comforting. And I began to wake up in the morning and, and help feed them and brush them and got to know these horses. Uh-huh. And I realized the big difference. When I worked with rescue horses, I think they had PTSD. Yes. They were in shock. They shut down. But when I worked with these cared-for horses, they with those big watery brown eyes that you just melt when you, mm. you know, see them, they were circumspect at first. But then they let me into their world, and they embraced emotionally embraced me, and I made that connection. And I knew I could write a novel about horses. Then you know their strength, mm-hmm. their icons in our culture, and. I actually wrote a novel about that weekend and all the mm-hmm. people who came together, and that's the summer yeah. guests. And I learned about right. dressage, and a lot of the people who are involved with Brook USA, are like Catherine it. and Cindy, <laughs> and a lot of the ambassadors I met. And it was a very steep learning curve, but I was so thrilled to find a focus for my passion for horses. Yes. And then when I got introduced to Brook USA, I I knew, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I can help. This is how I can use my energy and my resources for a force for good for these horses, these mules, mm-hmm. these donkeys around the world that probably have their own form of PTSD that mm-hmm. are struggling. And I was honored to be asked to join 
as an ambassador. Well, what are so some that's of how the... I wrote a book and joined Book USA. <laughs> yes, very good. Well, it's funny. Catherine speaks so highly of you, and um, she she as as we all know, natural disasters do bring people together in just they a do. different different way, different level. But um, we she told me about the women, daughters, babies, dogs, wine, cheese, and makeup <laughs> night. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, she wrote the foreword to that book. And so when I, I started reading and, and realized that in one of the early chapters, you mentioned Danny and Ron's rescue and Camden yes. and, and their, their house, their Camden house is like a mile from me. And it oh my hit goodness. Me. Yeah. And so it hit me. These are real people. This, this part of this at least is real life. And so I was really curious, you know, how much of it was true and, and, you know, how, how much, if you make a movie of the story, do you actually ask them to be in it? How does that work? Oh my goodness. It would be charming. Well, Wouldn't first it? of all, it's the most autobiographical, the summer guest is the most autobiographical novel I've ever written in that it was, it was unplanned, but it was right. inspired by actual events. That's exciting. And everyone in the novel is, is fiction. Mm-hmm. But that said, there were particular people who inspired characters. You know, the, Cindy and John Boyle inspired Grace and Je- Grace and Charles, yes. the, the people who embraced everyone at the farm, and that's what they actually did. They assigned, you can have the lake house, you can have the cottage, <laughs> Mary Alice, you can sleep over the barn, and Uh-oh. the daughter was in. We all had dogs, because like I said, horse people have dogs, and that was brought in Danny and Ron and the right. rescue, who I met through Catherine. And Catherine has one of their rescue dogs, oh, okay. and so does um, so do a number of people who are involved with the Brook USA. And then I actually met Danny and Ron and, and spoke at a tea where they joined me, and they are just the best they in their are. movie in the doghouse. Isn't it's it neat? fabulous. Yeah. And then I met, you know, I told you about Leslie Munsell. She inspired right. the the woman who was a makeup artist and a and Hannah. a horse woman as well. Mm-hmm. No, Hannah was the daughter and let oh. who oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, you're gonna you're going to fool me now. I'm sorry, I shouldn't um, have done that. <laughs> Kate Jackson, Katie Jackson, who yes. is the equestrian in Paradressage, I adore her. I met her at WEG, and she inspired Gerda, and if it wasn't for her, I never would have truly brought the book to another level mm. of depth because of Gerda's amputation. We understood her and, right. the, and her pain so much more, and that was all Katie Jackson. Mm. I went with John to his dressage teacher, Julio Mendoza, mm-hmm. and he had such a vibrant <laughs> way about talking, and he... And he said, if you make a mistake, forget about it and keep going. And I thought, oh boy, that is going in the novel. You it's cannot make up good lines like that, that inspiration. So he inspired my character and hell yeah, and yeah. a number of people, but they were all, in, the characters were all inspired. I would never actually write a real person in the novel mm-hmm. or their real history. Sure. But the heart, the soul of them were were what was so inspiring, and the actual horses. Well, and it's, your your audible is read by Cassandra Campbell, who I just think does a fabulous <gasps> job with all with your talking with the accents just now. It reminds me of listening to her, and as she 
as she gets it. She nails them from Gerda's um, Germanic. What would it yes. be? Germanic. Um, Germanic, yes. And on hell. It just, it, she does a great job. So I really but enjoyed that. you know, Julianne, that. that's why I usually read the audiobooks. But mm-hmm. when I looked at this one, the summer guest, it was um, a complicated story because mm-hmm. of not only so many male points of view, but also the accents, as you said. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I better leave this one to a professional. And I had heard Cassandra Campbell read where the crawdads sing yes. so beautifully. And I thought she's the one. And when she agreed to to read it, I was thrilled. Yes. And she also read the following book, the the um, on Ocean Boulevard, which I have always read all the Beach House series books, but with COVID-19, I could not mm-hmm. read it. Couldn't so my it. goal, my hope, my dream is that this would be a movie like, you know, um, Hope's Legacy, which mm-hmm. is I'm so excited to see. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking, I, I actually would love a good friend of mine, Andy McDowell, to play Grace. I think she'd be the perfect Southern matriarch. That would be so. Great. I have to, I have to talk to her about that. We yes. have to make. This and she's from South Carolina as well, so I think that's yes, a good, good tie-in. I think she would. She's be, a good Southern be woman, and and I think she, I know she'd do it. So mm-hmm. we have to just get pull it Work together and see if we yeah. can make it happen. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned inspired. I'm inspired by the work that is being done by all of you at Brook USA, and so. You mentioned the film, Hope's Legacy, and so that's just one uh, initiative. The Power of One is is kicked off by that um, upcoming film event. What are some of the other Brook USA initiatives that you've been able to support and be involved in? Oh, my gosh. All right. Let me start with Hope's Legacy, which, first of all, I'm really excited about. I think it's a great um opportunity to hit the social media, hit hit the you know, viewing public with the importance of horses horses in a family's lives. And I um, I have I just want you to know Thursday, October fifteenth is circled on my calendar. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a VIP ticket uh, admission ticket because a, I'm inviting all my girlfriends over to watch it with me, our, yes. my little pod with COVID nineteen approved. <laughs> but also I am crazy for Caroline's cakes. They are the best. I ate Caroline's cakes before I even joined Brook USA, and I'm every Southerner knows those legendary caramel cakes. I was so say I just the have caramel. to say yes. it's the best. So I um, I'm going to be watching that, and I'm hoping that it will inspire a lot of people. Sure. As far as the other groups that I'm I've been really touched by, I don't think anybody can hear about the equines situation in East Africa without, oh my gosh, without mm-hmm. being frozen in fear about for the donkeys over mm-hmm. there. You know, these are working animals that are not merely the, a, a major source of income and support for these poor families, but there, there's a threat of extinction in East Africa of this, of this species. And I you shudder to think of a devastation so colossal that it could have that kind of impact. And I feel the more we spread the word about what's happening to donkeys in East Africa, all for Chinese medicines and God only knows what other products, um, it's it's staggering to the mind. And I feel if we could get the word out, people will respond. And and the power of one in particular, uh, I think it's, very close to my heart. I actually started a group called 
light one candle. And it's very similar in appeal. When I was young and wanted to save something, this this was a part of me even as a young girl. Mm -hmm. My father, who is a wise man, a father of 10, so I was one of a large family. Large family. I said, Daddy, I want to save fill in the blank. I don't remember the cause, but I do remember him saying, now, Mary Alice, in that tone of voice, (laughs) you can't save the world. Just light one candle. And at the time, I thought he was being kind of a fuddy-duddy, you know, pushing me aside. But I realize now, with the wisdom of age, that he was actually telling me in modern parlance, think globally, but act locally. And when you consider what's going on with the power of one, that's telling us all that we have, each of us, within individual cells, the power to make a difference, that even a small donation can impact the lives of people significantly. And I think when people look at the crisis in East Africa and how many thousands of donkeys a day Mm -hmm. are being slaughtered, it's too big or too far away, and you just kind of shove it aside as something horrific. But when you think of the power of one, and you say to people, you, yes, you can make a difference in this situation. It triggers hope. It triggers a response. So that's why I'm really 100% behind that concept of the power of one or light one candle. You don't have to save the world. Save one person. And if you light a candle and the next person lights a candle and the next person lights a candle and we all light candles, what happens? It's illumination. We shine. And that's when the human spirit is at its best. Mm. Well, that, that event, that online event, is one fabulous way to not only... Have a wonderful time seeing a wonderful film and possibly eating a wonderful caramel cake, but also <laughs> making a huge difference in in yes. the whole in the whole supporting Brook USA. Another way that you can support quite easily and and really kick off the power of one is text Orange to seven one seven six zero. I've heard that that's another way to donate and um and is quite simple. If you don't have time to watch the movie, you can still make a, a huge contribution. And I hope people do that. And I hope that they go to either Instagram or to the website and take a look at the donkey hide crisis. And another project that I'm excited about, Women for Donkeys, it's to support women and who support their families Mm -hmm. with donkeys. These are really important projects. And I think it's more important now than ever, you know, what with the effects of COVID-19 devastating communities in the developing world, to, to give what we can. And a small amount can make a Big difference. Sure. Skip buying that new saddle pad just for your exercise days and put that money toward toward Brook USA and you can change the life of that donkey for a month or two months yes. or a year, in fact. So Absolutely. And I think it's all about making people aware. I learned that in my writing of novels, the twenty some novels I've written, that people are moved when they are connected mm-hmm. to the cause somehow. And that's the power of novels 
That's the power of social media, of films. It brings people face to face, up or they say up close and personal with yes. the crisis, so that they do understand. Ah, I, I, this is a problem. It's not too big for me to make a difference. How can I help? And that's the question. How can I help all these millions of donkeys and mules and horses that are living substandard lives that are, you know, carrying heavy loads on their backs, um, mistreated, perhaps not deliberately, but mm-hmm. just through lack of education. Right. And it, it's the livelihood of so many families in developing countries. Mm-hmm. Well, this support can help to provide access to vets, to to walk clean water, um, just a world of different things that are that are in the initiatives of the organization. So, That's so it's right. quite quite special. Well, thank you so much, Mary Alice. I mean, I appreciate all that you're doing as one of the ambassadors for Brook USA, and um, it's just a special relationship. I can tell. So it is, and I think anyone out there who loves horses, and frankly, who doesn't love horses. They're iconic mm-hmm. in our culture. I hope that they take a moment to listen and pause and think, what can I do to help them? What can I help horses throughout the world and the families that they serve? It's a selfless act. And in today's stressful time, especially with, like we said, with COVID-19, it sometimes defines a hero through action. Mm-hmm. That's what we do in literature. We define heroism. You box a, cor- a hero into the corner, and that hero must make a decision to act, and it's that action. That's why we call them action heroes mm-hmm. that define um, courage and bravery. So I encourage everybody to be selfish and make a difference exactly. through the power of one. And Brooke USA. Yes. And I have to echo Catherine, um, her words from your forward, actually. She says, my life has become more enriched by having horses in it. And I feel the same Mm. way. So um, I just... I do, too. She's a wonderful woman. She is. She really is. She's a great leader, and uh, I was so honored that she wrote the foreword, and even more happy that she's my friend. Well, and I can imagine you all writing things together in the future, maybe. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, you never know what might come next, huh? What What oh, is your next project? We have a few project? ideas on yeah, that. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> what is your next project? What can we look forward to from you coming up? I have, it's interesting, because of COVID-19, I was, and I write family sagas, I put aside the, the standalone novel I was going to write. And I'm writing the continuing story of the Beach House series, which I'm oh, very good. blessed is so popular. Yes. And it's it's about how this time, this pandemic time is not really about sickness. It's about finding moments of joy and connection with family that we may have missed mm. and how, how it's changing our lives. So I, I just feel as an author of Family Lives, I should touch on this. And then on to other books, maybe horses. <laughs> Good. We'll look forward to that. Either way, horses thank or you. no, we look forward to it. But thank you so much, Mary Alice, for speaking with me today. Thank you. If you'd like to support Brook USA and help this work continue, you can donate by texting ORANGE to 71760.